Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams. And I'm Joe Anderson. Joe, guess what, man? Today, so every time we have one of these episodes, I say, you know, this is my favorite guest, and I give some reasons why. And, you know, <laughs> it's not BS, but our guest today is actually my favorite guest because we did not get a three-page bio. <laughs> <laughs> Usually, it you know they're twenty minute podcasts, and we spend the first uh, fifteen minutes trying to introduce the guest. Um, it, this guest said, "You know, you will do me no justice. I would much rather introduce myself." So, without further ado, our guest today, Doctor Carl Hoffauer. Doctor, how are you? I'm good, thank you, and thank you for that compliment. That's uh, that's hysterical. So. Uh... <laughs> Uh, so Dr. Hoffauer is, um, he is at the executive, what is it, executive director for Failure Prevention Associates? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Can you uh, give us a little bit of background on yourself and who Failure Prevention Associates is? Sure. Sure. Well, I'll start out. I'm the executive director because we have a few directors and uh, I originally, so I have a clinical doctorate. A lot of people think I have a PhD which I don't. Um, so I was the chief of phys med and rehab for a medical group. My board was actually in chiropractic, but I was in the postgraduate program for neurology and a few other things. And in 2007, a whole bunch of things came together <clears throat> that uh, had me realize I no longer want to participate in American healthcare. And if you want more details, see me at a conference and buy me a beer. I'll tell you the gory story. But it's easy to say American healthcare is an unhealthy business and uh, needs some changes. So, so I quit, thought I would go into nonprofit and nonprofit I found is extremely lucrative for the soul. But if you live in Silicon Valley, where there is a voracious demand for income because everything's so expensive in California, uh, it was very difficult to make ends meet working in nonprofit, even though it was, it was fun and fulfilling for my heart. So a family member introduced me to vibration spectrum analysis, and she was working for a company that had split off and took a Palm Pilot and turned it into a vibration analyzer, which sounds like no big deal now, but this is 2007. This is pre-iPhone. This is pre-iPad. <clears throat> and they had just come out with the Palm uh, Trio cell phone that was a digital assistant and a phone. It was, you know, the, the, the early... Mm -hmm version of what we saw. So anyway, so I started learning about these diagnostic tests and for asset health. I thought, oh, that's interesting. I do diagnostic tests for human health. You know, maybe there's a correlation here. And so I went on a fact-finding tour. I, I toured uh, Nebraska, Missouri, Kansas with a guy, and then I came to Texas and toured around Houston with another guy, and then went to Florida uh, to Terry O'Hanlon show for uh, the, the Daytona Beach, I think it was IMC. And really opened my eyes. But I'll tell you, the biggest significant thing that got me to understand that I could be involved in predictive maintenance as a concept was in this hog slaughtering plant. I watched a guy have a syringe and he's pulling out this amber substance from a gearbox. And I asked him what he's doing. He goes, I'm taking an oil sample. I said, why would you do that? And he goes, well, we send it to the lab and they tell us, you know, the health of the oil, which gives us an insight into the health of machinery. And of course, blood tests comes to my mind, right? Right. I always related to a blood test. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, there's so many good correlations, right? Yeah. And so 
so it just, you know, the light bulb kind of dimly starts to go bright. And I went, huh, just like a blood test. And what was amazing was the maintenance guy smiled, stood a little taller with a little more pride in his, you know, demeanor and nodded smiling and said, yes, I'm checking the lifeblood of my equipment. And he, you could see he, he kind of had a better viewpoint on what he was doing instead of, oh, I'm in the basement of a hog slaughtering plant pulling an oil sample on a gearbox. And that really got me thinking more and more like, I think I could participate in this. Now, I needed to learn a lot. I still don't know as much as you guys. I don't know as much as the people who work for me. Um, I've been very, very blessed uh, to move from, we started selling tools, then failure prevention. Uh, after a while, I'd getting calls like, hey, what do these squiggly lines mean? So then we started a training program for people to learn what the significance of their readings were from vibration analyzers, thermal imagers, ultrasound detectors, motor circuit testing, all those um, tools. And that brought me all over the country. And that's been great uh, to meet the people in the maintenance and reliability community has been fantastic because the patients I used to see were always in agony or numbness or something. And, and it's difficult to have a practice where people are almost always in pain. And what's nice is to come into a facility and you help them and everybody's happy and they want you to come back. So it's well, they been want you to come back because they're, they're still in pain. Just in different well, yeah. <laughs> assets, assets don't talk, Carl. <laughs> no, you're right. Assets don't talk. In fact, I came to this thing. I was actually chastised by some people once, but I, I said, you know, I still think this point of view, it, it fits for many facilities, not everybody, but many, but I feel like I'm a pediatrician who is dealing with a patient who can't speak the assets. Yep. And I have two divorced parents that don't like each other. So I've got the overprotective single. I was chastised again just this week. It, I was over this overprotective dad or this overprotective single mom, right? And they are, you know, you got to treat it like this and make sure they have this and don't do this and all on, you know, so on and so forth. And then you got the deadbeat other parent who's chain smoking sitting there going, just run it. I just, you know, I need to pounds of this You know what's awesome? Get rolling. Yeah, exactly. What's so so and awesome here you are. You know exactly who they are, right? Like <laughs> operations is saying, just run it. And the helicopter mom is the maintenance guy. That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> so I've been saying that for years and uh, I can, you know, I, I'll take the hate. So, uh, cause I, I still think it's appropriate for so many locations. Right? And it's relatable. Cause it we, really we is. All, yes. it is very relatable. Yeah. So. Well, and I had patients like that, right. Where, right. you know, uh, so, so I'm used to dealing with that type of thing. And, and even when like I was training one of our guys and it was a high pressure situation, there's this, they're in an outage. This is the only fan that's running on their processes. They're still trying to create product without completely shutting down while the other side of the house is in this outage and everyone's freaking out. And my, my, uh, field service guy is getting nervous. And I was like, listen, this is no big deal. You know, we're, we're going to be able to help them. We've, we've got all of the monitoring in place. We put in a wireless monitoring that's taking data once a minute and it's doing great. And he's like, how do you remain calm? And I was like, are you kidding me? I've dealt with people who are dying of cancer. I've dealt with, you know, people that are bleeding like this. <laughs> this is, I'm sorry, this is a, you know, a million dollars an hour operation, but if we didn't do this and it failed anyways, they would still have the same damn 
situation. Sorry about that. But <laughs> we use that. We use those types of analogies a lot, right? I mean, at, at wherever folks are on the spectrum of the reliability journey, the work still gets done, right? I mean, you can be really bad at maintenance and still push product out. So um, just because you have a bad day or something doesn't go right, it's not the end of the world. Uh, your company figures it out. Uh, obviously, we want to do that as proactively as we can, but sure. we use very similar analogies uh, all the time. So, I, so in terms of the complexity, I just, so I'm just curious, <laughs> coming from the healthcare world and into the maintenance world, you know, and you had, you had mentioned that person had, you know, it stood a little taller at when you were able to relate those things. What do you think in terms of the complexity of what the average maintenance technician needs to understand versus a doctor? Well, the thing about the, there's a lot of similarities. However, I've never told a pump, this oil is going to make you feel better. And the pump got better. <laughs> so the placebo effect doesn't work as much uh, with your assets as it does <laughs> with humans and it's a fascinating thing that you know the placebo effect often gets derided and, and is thought of as a negative thing however if you read any pharmaceutical literature any research on a new drug they always compare it to placebo of course right and if you healthy there, mental attitude does a lot for your body it does it does so if you feel secure from something you're provided that it's going to help and a lot of times it does help it does yeah well how come artificial intelligence now being associated to assets doesn't work the same way then shouldn't they be focused on making the machine feel like it's going to be better (laughs) (laughs) i love it (laughs) your cmms thinks I mean, we've got machine learning, we've got machine learning, we've got AI, we've got all this stuff. We should just, you know, at some point the machine needs some feelings. Right. Well, maybe sometime in the future, but what I've seen is this is coming into this in 2007, right? So I haven't been in this game as long as, as many of you, but I also get to listen uh, because as a doctor, one of your best things you have as a trade is the ability to listen to people. And as I listened, people would tell me about how when CMMS came out, everybody thought, oh, this is going to cure all our problems. This is going to make maintenance a, an interesting, you know, a, a reliable organization. This is going to save us all this time and money and stuff. And it's done a lot of that, but it hasn't really, from what I gather from other people, and you guys can confirm this or not, has it really done everything it claimed to do when it first came out? Well, they, it doesn't do anything. Right. <laughs> it, it, it only provides you with the information you've put in it and the ability to analyze it a little faster than rummaging through a filing cabinet. Right. Um, outside of that, it's it's not really, you yeah, know, it's a disc on the floor. It doesn't improve your, your reliability issues are far more in depth than the CMS can solve. Exactly, right? It goes back to your people and your process. It doesn't matter what, and you know, I'm probably gonna irritate some people here, but it doesn't really matter too much which software program you chose. It's your people and your process, right? You can have the crappiest CMMS system, but if you're utilizing it, you're gonna get some benefit from it. Exactly. Versus spending twenty trillion dollars on a high end with all bolt-ons and all this stuff and never using it. I mean, it, it's 
it solely relies on people. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so you get in what you put in, you know. <laughs> and that brings us to kind of a, another question when it you know your success always relies on the the people, how you engage them, how you lead them, the skills they have and and how empowered they feel to make a positive difference in the organization. Um, but how do you guys approach uh, the people aspect of, of reliability? So a number of years ago, my field service manager, Walter Cruitt, who's fantastic. He's a, uh, he's been a maintenance supervisor for many years. He's been in the maintenance world for over 25 years. And, uh, one of the things that he put together was a skill gap assessment that started out being selfish. He just wanted to make sure did the crew that he was getting stuck with on a turnaround know what they were doing and could he depend on them. And, you know, these turnarounds here on chemical plants and refineries, right? They're tens of millions of dollars. They take weeks. There's a lot of people, a lot of things being done. And if you don't have a competent crew, you can have some big issues. So when he came on board, he had been doing this for a, a, a millwright maintenance services contractor. We, I helped tighten it up a bit so that we have more of a format, but um, we do skill gap assessments for our clients and to find out where their skills are for their people, because we've had this growing concern of what I call the silver tsunami. Basically, gray hair retirements are washing away skills, knowledge, and know-how, and the new workforce just does not have the, I guess from helicopter moms or other stuff, they don't have some basic knowledge that we would assume they should, like asking somebody about positive and negative voltage. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, how many kids can jump a car these days? Right. Right. My kids can, because I force them to, they don't like well, it. <clears throat> if you can, you're now considered an electrician or if you can install <laughs> a car stereo. <laughs> we're, we're, we're at that point. <laughs> I've gone. Oh, you've you've jumped a car. You're hired. Yeah. I've seen. I've act. Yeah, right. You go on a job interview, and they're they're like, "Did you have you ever shocked yourself?" Yeah, good. You're hired. Yeah. No, I literally at Smuckers, we had a guy apply for an electrician position, a tech position, and his experience was installing car stereos. And he thought he could come in and, and run, you know, 110, 480, 24 volt systems. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, <laughs> we, we got, so there's a chemical plant that has been in the red for years, well over three years. And, uh, I had, uh, so I, I always understand that they don't have a process in place when they say we're re-implementing X, right? right? I heard it at Maximo World. Well, we're going to re-implement Maximo. We're going to re-implement SAP plant maintenance. We're going to re-implement EAM, right? It doesn't matter who, if they're saying they're re-implementing something, they have an issue, right? So we get called out, to, uh, I get the, the pretty high up vice president guy, I believe, came to me and said, I, I can't, these guys don't even know how to fix pumps and the electricians don't know what they're doing. And I heard you do these skill gaps. Can you come and help us? Yeah. So I send out our, uh, Walter. And so Walter's NCCER certified proctor in millwright, mechanic, pipe fitter, boilermaker, crane operator. And then uh, Greg is our electrical and instrumentation supervisor. So they run our teams. 
And so Greg is, he goes out and he understands about doing the evaluation for electrical and instrumentation. And uh, so when they deployed, the first assessment that came back was the electricians are not electricians, they're construction electricians. They know how to bend conduit and clean water. Yeah, it's a lot different. Yep. Way different. <clears throat> and we found out that one of the, the company that was supplying the labor for the maintenance uh, they actually were a gardening company. And Ooh. so they were just facilities management, baby. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we need a facilities management company to run maintenance. And then, right. You, you yeah. got the other end of that facilities management spectrum. <laughs> you know, it's been so long since I was in that. Where, so, cause when I was in Silicon Valley and I went to this maintenance conference, everybody's talking about cleaning. You know, like mopping floors yeah. and picking up trash. I'm like, that's not maintenance. Yeah, they call right. that maintenance. That's that's what's funny. If you look up maintenance jobs, most of them are janitors. So it's like, yeah. Uh, so I don't know how HR uh, got bamboozled into writing up <laughs> that. Well, that's the problem is is we give HR all of this power to make those decisions for us instead of us sitting at the table and helping them uh, to find what what we need. You know. Well, yeah, well, that's true. Well, like uh, our director of optimization for reliability, Dave Krings, he told me about how many times he would say that electrical supervisor or that mechanical supervisor, he needs to become the maintenance manager for this plant. And HR would say he doesn't have a degree. This is so right. He's yeah. got he's got management skills like he can get people to get work done. Right. Which is basically the red tape. Doing. The red tape in our society today kills a lot of businesses. It's you, know, you have to have this check the box. Like I had, I didn't go to college, right? Right. Uh, right out of the gate, I started in a beef packing plant. And so at the time I have 15, almost 20 years experience turning plants around, getting results and all this stuff as a maintenance manager. But I couldn't get certain maintenance manager jobs because I didn't check that box. I'm like, hang on. You got a kid straight out of college has never worked a day in his life and you're making him a maintenance manager because he has a piece of paper and I've been doing this for 20 years and doing it well. And that's irrelevant, Joe, your technical yeah. capabilities are relevant. I know. Well, that, and, and the other thing, when you interview, it's funny cause they ask you, well, do you know PLCs? Do you know this? I'm like, I'm a maintenance manager. I don't need to know that stuff. Right. Like I didn't know how to people, manage a team. <laughs> well, no, it just it shows how reactive their culture is. That means right. the maintenance managers out turning wrenches instead of putting strategies together to get them out of the hole that they're in. Exactly. Right. And yeah. they ask all these wrong questions. So we we taught you talked about a, a skills gap uh, report that has come up that you guys are working through. Yes. Yeah, what so what we are have... the results from some of that? So one of the things we'll look at wrench time. So we've taken like one particular plant, they were at 27% wrench time and we got them up to about 47% wrench time in three months. And so that translated into actually about 1.3, almost $1.4 million in extra production for the money they were already spending, right? They're paying the guys hourly, they're spending yep. the money, but now they got double, almost double the, uh, the production out of them. Yep. Um, you know, this, chemical plant I'm talking about, they've been in the red for three years. They've been in the black for six months and we're not even done. We just got them up to a point where they could do some basic maintenance properly. And some of their stuff, 
it's nice to have an outside person come in. Like one plant, they had metric uh, pumps, but everyone had imperial sized tools. So I jokingly said, when I heard that feedback, I said, what are they using, crescent wrenches? And he goes, yeah. Right. Channel locks and crescent wrenches. Exactly, it? right? So they didn't even well, have the crescent right wrenches are bilingual if you turn them the other way. So it's Oh, yeah. excelente. Okay. Yeah. Making yeah. <laughs> so it was uh interesting. So anyway, so that's where we've gotten you know, we've gotten some great result. We've seen good results with with all the clients that went through it, but those are some hard things is that when you can have a plant that's in the red year after year, and then suddenly they go into the black after you've been there. Um, and what we found was is that the operators know even less than the maintenance guys. And this isn't to knock down operations. I mean, those guys do incredible work, but a lot of it's done by the DCS and the PLCs. And so there was a pump that wasn't starting and we get this emergency call out for our electrical guy. And we're trying to, he goes out there and he goes, well, your valves are set wrong. And like how, you know, we've been struggling for three hours to get this pump to run. How do you know that? And he goes, well, because that valve's totally closed and you can't run the pump with the valve closed on the discharge. That's and because goes, we've lowered our expectations for the labor force, especially when it comes to operations. Now the expectation is you just push buttons. Yeah, and this is why to go back to your question, George, about why people are hyping AI. Um, I, I would direct people to the Gartner hype curve on uh, digital transformation. We are still near or on the way up on the hype curve, and we have not fallen into the trough of despair <laughs> on the other side <laughs> of the hype curve. Well, ultimately, you know, success does rely on people and. Whether you replace folks with automation, you now need the technical skill set to take care of the automation, or you need the people skilled enough to create the correct algorithms to remove your, you know, your variation using the automation. It's not really, dumbing it down doesn't work. Pushing buttons is not the operator's job. They still have to understand the flow of product and process. Correct. And that part is what we think we don't need somehow. And well, we the, think we the can thing just, that we're you know, doing, right, is, is we want AI and all this stuff. But the reason most companies want it is to try to close a skills gap instead of addressing the root cause of the problem, which is investment in their people. Yes. Right. They, yeah. they don't want to invest in their people. So they'll go spend a trillion dollars on AI when it costs a few hundred thousand dollars to close the gap and solve the root cause of the problem. Well, you're perfect. I think that's totally correct, but it has to do with, they can spend millions. They feel good. They own something and it's not going to jilt them. It's not going to leave them for somebody else. Right. Yeah, I know. It's like, I, I get some of the reason behind it, but, the funny thing is, is we don't ever want to talk about what the root causes are. We want to right. find some other solution and avoid addressing the elephant in the room all the time. Well, I'll tell you why I got into doing the skills gap was because, you know, we're a predictive maintenance services company. That's where we started, right? We started selling tools then we train people on tools. Now we take people and we teach that, you know, we do, we use the tools to give them reports so they understand 
what's the health of their assets, right? And so, you know, every month we're going out and collecting vibration data, doing thermal imaging, motor circuit testing, all that stuff. Well, we would give them the information and it would still be run to failure. Yeah, because you actually have to take action upon it. But the problem is a lot of people think that I'm doing these technologies, therefore I'm good. Well, I had that fallacy for the longest time. Oh, this failed? More sensors, more data collection, more, right? right? And then uh, I started learning about going, I actually started attending the sessions at all of these uh, conferences I was going to while we tried to sell our tools, right? Mm-hmm. And went, oh my gosh, <clears throat> of course, I should have seen. It's not just the diagnostic tools. You have to have a process in place with defect elimination programs that gets mm-hmm. rid of this problem. And yeah. one of the things we started seeing was first-time fix rates were dropping dramatically. Like a plant would be doing awesome and we'd be helping them with those occasional things that could cripple them because you couldn't diagnose it any other way except for thermal imaging or oil analysis or vibration. And then all of a sudden we started seeing problems all over the place. And what happened? Well, they got bought out and mm-hmm. the guys with all the skills, the gray haired guys, a tsunami came in and washed those guys away because they had packages to leave because the younger guys were cheaper. Yep. And well, they're, they're cheaper up front. This is, that's what correct. people don't do true life cycle costing on anything. Yeah, they're cheaper up front, but it's costing you on the packaging side or whatever it is that you're doing yeah, you know, on the production side. Every year in this country, there are brain surgeons who pass with the lowest possible GPA to become a brain surgeon. <laughs> Which one do you want cutting your head open? Right. Well, I'll tell you, you, you don't want the valedictorian because that guy is so stuck yeah. <laughs> in the minutia. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I graduated third in my class for my internship. Uh, nice. But I was in the pack. When it out of out of three or out of no, at 100. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Statistics matter, right? It was like... four. There were four people in my class, man. <laughs> but what was funny was I, uh, you needed so many, you know, patient visits, so many blood uh, tests, so many X-rays, things like that, and uh, so. I got all those done very rapidly because I'd worked in clinics um, before I started school and, and for extra money while I was in school. So I already knew what to do. So just like you said, here's this kid straight out of school and you want him to become a maintenance manager. He's an engineer and no offense to engineers, but most engineers would rather deal with machines and numbers and not people. Yep. Yeah. Right. So the, to the, all the HR people who I hope somebody pushes that this podcast to them to listen to, you need someone who's qualified for the job by their ability to execute not what degree hangs on the wall oh so now you're saying that you actually have to have qualifications yes sir uh, i thought we don't really look at this stuff anymore. <laughs> well because i saw that where i go this guy's the main why is this guy the maintenance manager well he had a degree well so mm-hmm. what you know yep. that's literally about as valuable as Put a mirror under the guy's nose. Is there a fog? Great. Oh, good. So he's still right. breathing. Great. But on the that's back actually side, the current hiring process across yeah. the entire country, by the way. It and is. pass the drug test. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, no, they're getting rid of those they're now. Rid they, of those they're things. actually stopping those because it's not allowing people to get hired. <laughs> and so they're eliminating that requirement because it is so hard to find people right now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Well, this is where we've been able to move the needle, though. We, we give these – I'll tell you, with the younger guys, they want to know. They want to learn. Uh at least we've seen that in the vast majority of cases. Do you have your people that are just there to collect a paycheck and then they want to go play video games? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's that's a – That's the bottom 10%. So. Right. But that's a minority still, right? Yeah. We still mm-hmm. see you know, people that are industrious. You know, we, It's easy to make a millennial a punchline of a joke. But you know, I see some great stuff from these kids and things that they understand mm-hmm. and, and how they want to, want to drive changes. You know, this – the whole thing with wireless sensors and how we're getting more insights. You know, I've been fascinated to see how not only with wireless uh, sensors and sensors that can take data more often than we ever had before and the ability to compare shift to shift on operations and seeing that the amount of inflicted damage upon uh, your assets are more with, let's just say third shift than first and second. Mm-hmm. Right. And taking the data and going in to the group to say, hey, we're concerned. You know, we see these things. We're using this data as a crutch to get to a better place, not as a club to beat somebody down. Yep. But we want to help you guys do better. And like there was a fracking company a few years ago that uh, I had pitched on wireless monitoring. And the guy was like, yeah, we, we already saw it. We said, no, it's too expensive. And I, you know, my thing is compared to what? And he was like, I don't know. They, they wanted, you know tens of thousands of dollars a month. And I said, well, this is, let me show you what they're doing. They're doing 2.8 more stages per uh, shift than you guys. And just doing one extra stage on fracking that well is worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you can do several more, you're talking over a million. And I said, I know for a fact that some of your competitors have lowered their prices and you think that they're just cutting their margin. They're not. They're fracking more stages because they're they're inflicting less damage on their equipment. They're not having the non-productive time or the unplanned downtime that they used to. And that's how they're able to lower their price because they're still making more margin. Yeah. And so the guy brought me into it was funny because he called the the top brass and he's like, Remember we talked about this? Yeah, I know. Well, they're fracking more stages. Yeah, that's how X, Y, and Z lowered their price. They're still making more money. Well, I told you, well, yeah, back before he goes, fine. He goes three o'clock, come back. And I told him I wanted their worst frack fleet and their best. And what was amazing is after about three weeks of data monitoring, the quote worst shift was actually doing some amazing innovative stuff because they knew they were quote the worst, the worst fleet. So we took some of their stuff. We backed them off from the edge of the envelope a little bit. And then took some of their stuff and disseminated through. Well, we started with two fleets. Within three months, we had 19 fleets. Nice. Yeah. And these guys were rocking and rolling, doing great. And so it just shows the power that this stuff can give you if, and here's the biggest thing. Do you have the strength of leadership to implement the changes that we've, on the insights that we've given you? And that's whether you do wireless or monthly or quarterly, right? Are you changing your behaviors so that you're not inflicting damage on the equipment? I think that goes with anything, right? I, uh, do you have enough organizational discipline to create sustainability? You know, service providers offer lots of great services in a variety of areas, 
ultimately they leave. An organization has to have the organizational discipline and the and <clears throat> to follow even the processes that get put in place um, in order to be sustainable in that success. Yep, and lead. I mean, leadership is the biggest problem there, uh, coupled with discipline. So that's where you're going to see this trough of disillusionment coming with AI and and IoT stuff is. People think it's going to solve all their problems without having to do hard work. You're not going to have to change what you're doing mm -hmm. and you're not. And so where you lack leadership, it doesn't matter the industry, you know, steel, pulp and paper, petrochemical, food and beverage. Do you have the strength of leadership to get these changes? And I've seen it in different plants, like some plants, uh, you know, they'll do like a big, huge, you know, consultant comes in for millions of dollars, right? And they do all 15 plants. And what do you see in the results two years later? You'll see one or two plants that did well and are doing well and others mm -hmm. don't. And the yep. single biggest difference is the people that were there. Right? Of course. I've seen it a million times. So. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I don't want to sound when I, when I talk to people about IOT stuff, I'll just go. So here's the deal. You will not be successful significantly successful with a big ROI if all you do is use this to give you a notification you have a bad bearing. Yep. We want to find out why this bearing goes bad here and there, but not these other 15 pieces of equipment. Right. That's the true value of IoT is to understand why, what are some of the causes why these things are failing? And, you know, I did this discussion a few years back and it's actually basically, uh, Ron Moore talks about it significantly, right? All of the things that affect reliability that have nothing to do with maintenance. Mm -hmm. That's right? almost all of it. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, you know, walking this plant. That's like trying plant? to say the firefighter has something to do with whether or not your house caught on fire. Exactly, exactly. Well, what's amazing is we used to, I used to use, and other people still do go, oh, they're just in firefighting mode. Well, I've got a, a district chief that's a friend and a neighbor of mine across the street, and I mentioned that. Boy, was he mad. He was like, what? He goes, that's not what, he goes, we train daily, and we have large-scale exercises. Like, we train, we're ready to rock and roll. We have everything preloaded, ready to go, because of you goofballs out there in the civilian world. <laughs> right, 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 right. But we're right. operations in that respect, right? In that analogy, we're operations and they're maintenance. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, I used to, uh, we, we have this thing where we'd look at people and go, well, you're just a victim of your equipment right now. You're in victim mode. And they get really mad about that. I'm not a victim. I go, well, what's today? Today's, uh, okay, so today's, what, Thursday? All right. So Monday, what is, what are you working on Monday? And they're like, well, I'm not sure because I have to have the morning meeting to know what failed Friday, Saturday. And Saturday. <laughs> right? Exactly. And is, if that's your point of view, then you are a victim of your Yeah. System. Your, your assets are managing you. You're not managing assets. Exactly. So, you know, again, going back to the skill gap assessments, we put those in because I wanted us to show value. And if they're not driving down their their cost of production if their mean time between failure isn't expanding then we don't really have metrics to show how well my predictive maintenance services are going so 
that you know, every year, every January, we meet with all our clients and it's Walter, uh, my field service manager, myself, and we go around all around the country meeting with clients to talk about, okay, this is what we found. This is what we consistently find. These are some programs we're going to recommend that we implement to help decrease these failure modes. And so skill gap assessments came about because the labor force didn't have the skill for precision maintenance. So we said, well, we're going to, instead of just complaining about it, let's do something about it. So we started doing the skill gap assessment. Then we had people going, all right, so these are the gaps in my guys. How do I close them? Okay, so then we'd bring in experienced guys and, uh, you know, we bring back gray-haired guys in some respects and help them elevate their skill level. Then we've expanded it over to operations because you can't deadhead a pump for nine hours and then blame maintenance for the pump failing. Well, you can because it's always been acceptable in the past. <laughs> well, yeah. So I started when I learned about data historians and Pi and uh, Wonderware and stuff. I thought, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. And I was shocked at the resistance that operations had to giving us access to that data. Yeah. And so I had to reassure him, I'm not going to use it as a club to beat you guys down. But, but they're, they're really good at at holding that tight because it'll expose the fact that they don't have a maintenance problem. They have an operations problem. Exactly. Yeah, they so. never want you to pull back the curtain. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I couldn't believe that the, and so, you know, being in practice for so long, I understand odd behaviors of, of people. And so the, the strength and the anger from production supervisors and production managers when I would ask that because they would go, you're just trying to cover up for crappy maintenance. <laughs> right. And, and what was funny is it clicked in my head. I'm like, this guy is like dr a drug seeking behavior. So, cause we'd have people in yeah. the clinic, right. If you needed Vicodin or, you know, uh, not to go off on that tangent, but if you needed uh, severe, significant pain management pills, you had to come and see me and go through our department. And uh, they would be furious, and the, the magnitude of their reaction for the situation was greatly displaced, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And we came up with this thing like the volume of your argument does not correlate. So, listen, so Carl, we, we kind of need to wrap up here. Let's, let's schedule a part two. Um, where we can go through implementation and, and some of the things that you guys do. Yeah, and, great. Uh, that would we be have awesome. to go into depth on that. Uh, yeah. Maybe we do that in December when we're uh, down in Marco Island. Yeah, that sounds yeah. great. Yeah, you can come sit with us. We're doing podcasts on there. So. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yep. Well, that'll be awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, <laughs> Doctor. It's been fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, excellent. Well, I always enjoy speaking with both of you guys. I was glad to see you at SMRP a couple of weeks ago. And uh, yeah. uh, thank you so much for the chance to come and talk on your podcast. Yeah, we're going to do this again. Longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have any fancy sounds to <laughs> <laughs> a beer opening or something. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to get that button, but I don't have it right now. Well, thank you again so much for, for, for joining us. We'll do a part two because Joe and I are both, and I'm sure our listeners are are eager to hear uh, of the challenges and successes of, of implementation after the skills gap assessment. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Happy to come back and talk more about that. Thanks. Awesome. awesome. For Joe Anderson, I'm George Williams. Go make tomorrow better than today. <laughs>